seize the moment. Hello, everyone. Today, I'll be speaking with a former martial artist and current coach at Academy of Lines. He's your favorite gymnastics coach, David Yorema. Welcome, man. How are you doing? Good, buddy. Uh, thanks for having me. This will be interesting. I'm really excited to have you on the show. You know, you're, you're a strong guy. I look up to you in terms of strength. You're skilled. You got a lot of gymnastics skills. Uh, now you're here, right? So I'm really happy to have you on the show, man. So we, we met each other at the Academy of Lions, right? Um, yeah. What, uh, what attracted you to that place in, in the first place? Well, I saw you. Um, <laughs> uh, honestly, like, it was funny because... Uh, I had like a issue with like work before I was like unhappy where I was with work and I remember that one of there's this one day where I guess I had like this sort of mental snap where I'm like I'm not happy I need to like pursue what it is that I want to do which is training Mm -hmm. and I've been trying to be a trainer for years so one night I go online and I try to find literally the scariest place or the most intimidating place in like Toronto for CrossFit or training in general the academy came up and it seemed like the most it seemed like the most intimidating to me. And the second I felt like intimidated, I was like, I need to be there. What about it? You think intimidated you? Um, the full, the site was really well put together. They had the combine that was up and it was the only gym that I've seen where it goes. There's a training combine to ramp on new coaches. Mm. And the first, the first thought that came to me was there's no way they're ever going to consider me. <laughs> Little did but, you know. <laughs> I feel like I sort of like forced myself into the gym though so, <laughs> so. no I mean I mean you got a lot of great skills and I'm sure you know we'll get to them we'll talk about them in a bit but uh, I'm glad that you know they added you to the the roster and I'm sure a lot of people can agree with me Thanks, um, you know your um, your gymnastics class is one of the popular classes obviously and I feel like you know there was a period I wasn't even in there there was a period where they had a gymnastics class and then they didn't have it for a long time. And it was only when you came in that they actually started to reintegrate this. And I feel like you had a lot to do with that. Um, yeah. how did that, how did that get started? Did they ask you to do that? Did you take the initiative or like, how did that sort of come about? Uh, I sort of took the initiative with it because I found that gymnastics was a low barrier to entry, uh, like sort of kind of program when it mm-hmm. comes to like training, because like you don't need, there are times where you can use weights as part of gymnastics, but gymnastics is being able to move efficiently with like your body without Mm -hmm. using like other external loads um i guess like the idea was brought up to me because like i've always picked up on gymnastic strength training or gymnastics training naturally like very easily just Mm -hmm. because i guess it was my body type and so as i was doing it i would like help people out here and there and then someone actually i can't remember who it was but someone brought it up to me going why don't you start teaching groups or teach groups of people like the basics and i'm like i'd rather teach a class and just dive right into the deep end Nice, man. Well, I'm, I'm glad you did, like I said, and I'm sure a lot of people are also glad that you did that. Uh, it's one of my favorite classes, and I know that I'm always bugging you for like um, for tips, especially on my muscle-ups, because they always they come and go, you know? Yeah, they're frustrating. Yeah, <laughs> you're a coach at Academy. You've been a personal trainer for nine years, right? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, but your, your fitness career um, started like in, in team sports, right, in hockey and soccer, right? Uh, actually, it started off when I was, I left team sports and I went into an individual sport and I was fighting for 15 years. Okay, okay, cool, cool. And that was in Taekwondo, right? Yeah. Nice. And you got pretty, you got pretty good at that, right? <laughs> uh, I'd say I got, I got pretty decent at it. I probably lost more than I won. 
Um, but okay. the, the talent pool that I was involved in was like really high. It was like really up there. Mm-hmm. Everyone on my team had like competed one or placed at nationals easily would win provincials would compete at like Pan Am qualifiers. Like they've it gone international. So I was like the little fish when I joined. Yeah. And I guess like when you're around people who are like that, you just, be, it's that's the environment and it breeds that kind of like excellence in sport. Yeah. Yeah. It just pushes you, right? Like you don't want to be the little fish for, for so long. Right. But yeah. I think there's, there's a lot to be said about being that, being put in that position, you know, especially in the beginning, like, you know, take something like gymnastics. Um, you know, I remember when I couldn't even get upside down, you know, and I remember trying to get upside down and you would tell me some things you'd be like, all right, try this drill, try that drill. And like, you know, it was frustrating at first, but you know, now I can walk a few feet on my hands and it's just like, all right, like it was only because I was such a small fish that I put in that effort and I put in that work. Otherwise, like I wouldn't have, you know what I mean? Like, so, um, yeah, I totally agree with you. Like having people around you to kind of push you, whether they do so intentionally or not, I think is just such a, such a great thing to have. Um, yeah. so what was it like for you, like competing at that high level? Like how many competitions did you, um, like take part in and like, what was the training regimen like? Oh man. Um, so unfortunately I couldn't do a lot, as many competitions as like a lot of my teammates. So the season yeah. in my sport doesn't really have an off season. Like just okay. maybe we get like a month and a half to two months off in the summer. It picks up back again mm-hmm. in like September, August. And it goes, you have, there's a tournament on average, probably like every four weeks. So okay. it's tricky because my main thing, one was money. <laughs> yeah. I was uh, still like working different jobs and trying, I, I paid for everything myself. Like I never really had help with it. And the second one was that I had a heart condition. I had a heart condition yeah. for many years competing. And the reason it was hard for me to compete consistently was that I walked around naturally 75 kilos. Now for my height, my coach wanted me to fight at 63 kilos. That's a lot. <laughs> it's yeah, it's a lot. So I would have to fight at sixty-eight, and to have an to have a season where every four weeks you have to compete, it's not possible for me to healthily maintain that low body weight because there's been times where like my heart went nuts at a low weight and I just couldn't handle it. Yeah, yeah. So I had yeah. to be very sparing with how I would com- uh, when I would compete. Um, but the training regime for Taekwondo is very. It's interesting because it's like more of a power speed sport with a high skill threshold. Yeah. And well, what does that mean? Like a high, like, what do you mean by high skill threshold? Like elaborate on that. High skill threshold mean that there's a lot of like, so there's some sports that I would consider more as like a physical performance sport where it means like there's limited technique and it's mostly based off the physical performance of a person. Okay. And then inverse, you have something that's high skill and then low physical performance, not taking away anything from them, but like you say, say archers, yeah. archers going to get good at, and the only reason, the only way they can get better is by practicing archery. Doing curls in the gym isn't going to get you better at archery. So Taekwondo is a high skill sport because you have to think about like what's involved in it. Most of the time you're fighting off balance. Like you're accelerating off one foot mm-hmm. to make contact. It's rotational. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a, a easily at least 200 different skills and you're only going to use maybe five effectively. So you have to do constant fights constant sparring simulations you have to do a lot of conditioning a lot of skill acquisition so you're spending most time like just perfecting that and whatever you can get for physical performance or training it's like you're lucky if you get time for that interesting yeah i mean i didn't know that like i i think i did take one though like most people like when i was really young and then they dropped that off real quick um yeah, a lot of people yeah <laughs> 
Yeah, but that, that's really interesting, man, to know, like, uh, sort of the, the intricacies of it. Because I use those analogies, too, sometimes when I'm uh, with, with patients, for example. I tell them, you know, like the skill piece versus the strength piece, right? Because a lot of times, and I'm sure you've come across this as a personal trainer, so people will be like, oh, I need to strengthen my glutes. I need to strengthen my core and strengthen this, strengthen that. And, I mean, it's not necessarily wrong, but sometimes it's more of a skill, right? Like, you can have the world's strongest shoulders, but doesn't mean you can hold a handstand you know what i mean like you need the skill to be able to do it so yeah very interesting yeah. i never never looked at uh, take one like that but it makes sense now that you put it that way um how i'm curious like again i don't know much about taekwondo so like how are competitions scored is it like per body part that you hit or like how, how is it scored exactly uh, I like to almost, because it's a little tricky to explain it, um, I'll explain it, I'll, but I'll give the first comparison is that you have to think of it very similar to boxing. Yeah. Boxing, is po- boxing, even though professional boxing can knock someone out and win off a TKO or a KO, it's a point-based system. So you have like certain hits that are effective or certain hits that aren't effective, and then the referees or like the judges will score how many shots are landed, how many actually made contact, what was the effectiveness, and that pushes like the weight of the fight. So Taekwondo specifically has, we have a chest guard and we have a helmet. There's other gear to protect us from like breaking stuff, but like mm-hmm. kicking. So if I kick the chest guard, I can get, the, the rules change. The rules have changed so much. But from what I understand, if I kick the chest guard, I get two points. If I do a rotating kick to the chest guard, I get three. If I kick uh, the head, okay. I get three. If I do a rotating kick to the head, I get four. And I can punch to the body. And the punches will give me like, I think one or two points now. Like I'm not sure. So it's uh, interesting because you can't and you can't grab, you can't block with your legs, um, and so it's very like there's a lot of like accuracy and like very like t- like very developed footwork involved in it. But like it's mm-hmm. a point based system, but it's also you can knock someone up. Yeah. And because the thing is that there's more reward for doing more aggressive, highly yeah. acrobatic kicks to the head. I've seen like people like seizure. Like I've seen people like just black out from getting hit hard enough. Oh god! Like, yeah. Have you knocked anybody out? Y- yeah, it's not, <laughs> it's not the best. <laughs> um, I remember my first knockout was I was, I was fourteen years old. Oh my god! And, uh, yeah, I remember seeing this guy. We were sparring in the gym, and he, I, he was standing. He was like in his thirties, but I can tell oh for god. some reason I can tell that he was gonna pun- he was gonna go in for a punch because he's very aggressive. And later in my style, I realized I'm really good against aggressive people. But, like, he was going to come in, and I'm like, he's going to punch me. I'm pretty sure I can kick him in the head. And before I could finish thinking, he went to go punch me, and I spun, and I kicked him in the head. And I remember him getting hit and just, like, oh God. lights were off. <laughs> oh, dude, I felt, honestly, it's, it's, I felt so bad. But yeah. at the same time, it's like, in the end, you get conditioned to it. You get yeah. used to it. I, I, yeah, I can imagine. I feel like shit too, but then it's part of the sport, right? So, exactly, exactly. Like, yeah, no, it, exactly. So it's like, and there's different styles of fighters, but like my like a rule of thumb that my friends and I would go by is, or my teammates is that if you're at a really high level and you get hit with something ridiculous in the head and you get knocked out, chances are like you probably deserved it because you did something stupid. <laughs> Fair enough, I guess, because there's also defense involved, right? It's not just all attack, so. Um, and like yeah. you said, you could probably get be really vulnerable, right? I mean, I haven't done a lot of martial arts. I just started some uh, jujitsu before the whole lockdown thing, and even there, like, you can really um, put yourself in vulnerable positions, right? So, yeah, kind of makes sense what you're what you're getting oh, yeah. out there. Um, all right, so you knocked somebody out, felt bad, but obviously felt good. It's kind of a bittersweet moment. 
Um, <laughs> how many how many people did you knock out like in your career? Would you say like do you remember the number or three? Three. Okay. Okay. Three I have knocked, but most two of my three knockouts came to the body. Oh wow! Interesting. I've only knocked yeah. out one person, and that's myself. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> the worst, the worst person to knock out, right? Um, no. So after your your competitive or during your competitive uh, years, you started transitioning into coaching, right? <clears throat> yeah, actually. Um, so yeah. coaching well, for me. So yeah, like what was that experience like? Going from like you know training really hard, being competitive, and then making time to be a coach as well. Like how was that transition for you? Uh, it was hard. Like my so like an average day for me, including because I had a business too at the same time. An average day for me would start at like six or seven a.m. I'd be out of the door by like Shit. seven. I'd work Shit. from eight, from usually from eight a.m. till five, and then straight from five o'clock, I would drive anywhere wherever I was in Toronto. I would drive to uh, like Etobicoke, mm-hmm. and I would coach several classes, like so three hours worth of like coaching, and then I would uh, train myself after, and then I'd probably be home by like twelve or one. Holy and that went shit. on for several years. Holy shit. That's very little sleep, man. <laughs> Believe me, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I guess there are moments in life where, like, you have to, you know, put the pedal to the metal and just grind hard. So, I mean, it pays off. You know what I mean? Like, where you're at right now, I feel like, it, you know, it just shows, like, how much work you put in. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned to me that, you know, uh, you've, you look up to Bruce Lee, right? Like, he's one of, like, your inspirations. Or he was. Right? Is he still like an inspiration, yeah. motivation for you? I uh, yeah. Once once he was an inspiration, it's like forever an inspiration. Nice. And like, um, wh- what about him exactly? Like, like attracts you to like his like what motivates you about Bruce Lee? Uh, uh well, one of the things that I really liked was because I read a lot of his a lot of his books or not all of them, but most uh, most of them um, was that he started off as just like a regular martial artist like under a traditional system. Mm-hmm. And then he started to sort of break away from a traditional system and search for something better. So he challenged norms. He challenged mm-hmm. cultural norms. He challenged systematic norms. Um, and then after realizing that, that he sort of was limited physically, he started looking like what he what he did was not very non-traditional. He went and looked towards bodybuilding or just like lifting weights to increase, like to build on his physique which is like a very common thing people would say is to build the physique. Mm-hmm. And then he got addicted to like everyone does who gets into the iron game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he he, he got pump. into like lots of lifting and bodybuilding and then his training skyrocketed. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy what strength can do like as a foundation for almost any sport. Right. And I feel like that's what humans are realizing like in the past, like, I don't know, 20 years or so people are like, Oh shit. Like, let me actually do some strength training plus whatever hell else um, I'm really good at, you know? Um, yeah. Whereas before, like you said, traditionally it was like, no, let me just focus on my craft. Who cares about any anything else, right? So it's yeah, very very cool thing that he did. I think to sort of lay down the groundwork for people like you, people like me, who you know just have a skill set but want to make it even better. Like for, I think about soccer, for example. Like I remember being skinny, playing soccer, people just pushing me off the ball super easily. And then I started training, started lifting weights, getting stronger. My legs got thicker. My leg, like, I just had a better base of support. And then, like, I found it was, like, night and day. I could just protect the ball so much easier because I had extra weight on me, you know? So, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. I never actually didn't know that about Bruce Lee. I obviously know of him, but I haven't uh, gotten into too much detail. Oh, don't even get me started. Don't get me started on him. <laughs> 
Uh, you also, you were doing some rock climbing for a bit too, right? Yeah, actually. So the rock climbing was actually came in at a very interesting time. Why um, is that? Uh, so I had left. So I was living with my family at the time. We had some conflict and I left. So I made a willing decision to leave my family. And at that time, I had actually online found my father. Oh, wow. So I decided to move in with him. Um, and shortly like after, uh, I ended up having a severe heart complication. So I lost my job. I lost a lot of stuff. Um, and what I did was that I couldn't like train Taekwondo. I couldn't do a lot of stuff at that time, but what I ended up doing was focusing on like, I need to do something for myself because mm-hmm, I'm a busy mm-hmm. body. Like, yeah. Um, so I was very interested, uh, and this was like, there's like a lot more to it, but the briefly said I was studying somatotypes or body types and talent acquisition in sport. So like certain body types are geared towards certain things. Yeah. So I'm predom- I'm, I'm built like a penguin. I have a very long body. <laughs> I have short arms and I have short legs, but I've yeah. always had from what everyone's told me a really good grip. So when I moved in with my dad, surprisingly, he was like a five minute drive from one of Ontario's best in- indoor climbing gyms. Interesting. So I immediately went in and joined, um, and I was there four to five days a week, three to four hours a day. And I was climbing by myself and I picked up on it. Like surprisingly, if I was a climber as a kid, I probably would have been significantly better than I was at Taekwondo. <laughs> but I picked up on climbing like ridiculously fast. Was it bouldering or was it um, like the with the with the rope and everything? No bouldering. I okay, went straight okay. to bouldering. Nice. And I had I had a lot of seasoned climbers who were there who would invite me. They'd be like, "Hey, like, how long have you been climbing?" Because we became friends, and I'm like two months, and they're yeah. like, "What?" And then they'd be like, hey, do you want to come on climbing trips? Do you want to come on ice climbing trips? Do you want to go on these trips? And I'm like, I can't. But it's like, it was interesting how, like, when they noticed that, they were like, come with us. And I'm like... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's cool, man. How long did you stick uh, to the rock climbing for? And, like, what sort of... Like, do you you still rock climb or did you stop that as well? Recreationally. Like, I'll do it when it's, like, for fun. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I did climbing for I was consistently climbing for about a year and a half to two years okay and within the first year I knew I was like I need to compete at this nice and you yeah how long did you compete for and how were the competitions I did one competition okay um and I dragged my friend into it who had no training which was hilarious uh but I competed in just like a regular open climb it wasn't like they had a lot of high profile climbers there but it was something it's a current tournament called tour de bloc so it's like you can climb for a week and I think like apply for it or you can be climbing as long as you want so it's open and I placed like right in the half of the percentile within nice. with only about with just under a year or about a year of climbing experience yeah it's not bad man and I'm assuming it's like a time thing or like a completion thing like if you complete it and then your score is the time I'm assuming uh, so you have there can be up to like 50 problems and however many problems you compete you get points and the, the more difficult the problem so problem one is like you can climb it asleep and problem 50 is you need to be like some sort of half machine half human (laughs) yeah some of those things are fucking insane like just gripping like underneath and you're kind of like parallel to the floor like it just drives me bananas the kind of shit i see people do at the rock climbing gyms Um, yeah it's it's always fascinated me yeah it's always fascinated me never ever got too deep into it but you know i do it recreationally once in a while i'll take you (laughs) let's let's do it (laughs) up man i'd be happy to do it Cass is into it too um 
how do you feel like this helped develop like a good foundation for the gymnastic stuff that you do now? Um, like in terms of the grip strength and in terms of using your shoulders and body to move around in like very random ways. Yeah. So very interesting. Uh, it's a very good like um, connection is that a lot of climbers, if you see them, they're not big. A lot of climbers more often that there's like one guy, Jan, his name is Jan. I believe he's from Germany. He's massive. He's like a freak. Um, but most climbers are pretty like light and they're yeah. pretty lean and they have to be because like the more weight you're carrying the their metabolic cost is higher yeah so so for me uh what i noticed is that a lot of climbers who are like seasoned climbers can wrap up pull-ups they have no problem developing like single arm grip strength their shoulders are super healthy um and then i've seen a lot of them do one arm pull-ups like the the proportion of people in climbing who do one arm pull-ups is like ridiculous compared to like anywhere else yeah so what I found is that like neurologically they have the patterning of just being able to grip and then they have a strong grip and they are able to recruit and recruit and pull. And so what I did from that was I trained a very specific way for myself. And then when I started gymnastics, I realized that like my grip strength is like, again, like not normal. It's like really developed from years mm-hmm. of construction and grabbing. So I got like mitts, but carrying over to gymnastics, I found it fits significantly easier than if I didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. You talk about like the recruiting, um, that recruitment of like the grip and the pull thing. Um, something I've been talking to a few people recently about how, like how strength actually works, right? Like the, how the nervous system just gets really good at something Like you don't need to be completely huge as long yeah. as your body knows how to use the muscles properly to create that, that power. Um, so yeah, very interesting stuff. Now you mentioned the, uh, you mentioned you had a heart condition and you also mentioned that like, like, did you lose your, your job because of the heart condition? Or, like, how did that come about? Like, you just, you couldn't work because of the heart condition, I'm assuming. Yeah, so what happened was, um, so quick little background is that I had, I've known I've had a heart condition since I was 13. Okay. About 13, 14 years old. Once I started Taekwondo, I noticed that my heart would start fluttering and racing like crazy. And I thought maybe just my heart's beating hard. I didn't really yeah. notice it. And then I would explain it to my friends. And they're like, that doesn't sound normal. Yeah. And so I, I've been for as many tests as you can imagine, whatever. Um, and so my doctor said it was just anxiety. I had, I have big beef with that doctor. <laughs> if I could have had this thing dealt with years ago, but, yeah. uh, so one day, cause I would have bouts, it would go on, it would go off one day when I was at work and I was doing this, I was refinishing hardwood floors. It acted up and it didn't stop. I had a resting heart rate of 180 for like two days. What the fuck? Yeah. My heart was going between 180, 180 it's like 184 and like up to 300. Wow. So it, hit, it actually capped at like 315 or 310 at Toronto Western. Holy but smokes. because of that, I, call, I called the guy and he's just like, well, what do you want to do? He goes, I don't know if we, you can work with your heart. And he's this old Italian dude. And I'm just like, Angelo, like I literally can't do anything right now. Like I'm terrified. Uh, I see. I see. Yeah. Crazy, man. So, yeah. so you're in the hospital. Your heart's fucking beating at 300 beats per minute. And like what? What, 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 what did they tell you? What did they recommend? Like, did they put you on drugs? Like, surgery? What did they... Oh, my God. Uh, so, I was grilled for a good two hours on probably, like, seven different doctors and a whole clinic from the... A uh, whole, like, clinic of doctors from UHN. Mm-hmm. And I was repeatedly asked, are you on cocaine? How much cocaine are you on? And I'm like, I don't take cocaine. They're like, it's okay if you take cocaine. How much cocaine? Oh I'm not God. taking cocaine. <laughs> yeah. Oh and God. it was, like, it was unreal that they were just, like 
you're you're on cocaine. How much cocaine have you taken? I'm like, I'm not like I don't do drugs. Like, I, they're like why like why can't you take cocaine? I'm like, because I have a heart condition, I'll die. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my god, that's yeah. crazy. Holy smokes. But the thing is that like because the heart condition that I had, um, it would it would fly up really high, but it would go to like the three hundreds and whatnot. But like my my uh, blood pressure and everything was fine. It was like one fifteen over sixty five. Um, and then when it started to die down, it went back, my heart resting heart rate was like in the mid forties or like high forties. And then they're mm-hmm. just trying to figure out like, if he's not on cocaine, then what's going on? I remember one doctor clicking and goes, are you an athlete? I'm like, yes. He goes, how long? And I'm like this many years. And he goes, that explains everything. <laughs> and did he, did he elaborate on that? Like what about you being an athlete sort of predispose you to this or kind of like, how is it a factor? Uh, so most people who are, have a sedentary lifestyle with something called SVT. So I had mm-hmm. something called super ventricular tachycardia. Um, it's a form of AFib and people have AFib are very prone for having heart attacks. Mm-hmm. Like my, it's a genetic thing. My father had it. Um, mm-hmm. So I've trained with this heart condition since I was 13 years old, like consistently. Mm. And they said that you're so used to it. You can tell when it starts. You know how to shut it off. Your heart's conditioned to it. If oh. I wasn't an athlete, different story. Wow. Wow, that's crazy, man. Holy smokes. And yeah, it has to do with like the the way that the nodes fire, right? In the heart. Like, I don't know how much detail you know, but I remember like back to physiology days, like there's all the nodes in the heart that sort of help to run the current to make it pump in a specific way. Um, And you, so do they put you on medication or you had surgery recently too, right? I think. Yeah. So I had my second surgery and the surgery went fantastic um so initially they tried putting me on two they put me on a beta blocker and they put me on something to like lower my heart rate yeah uh, and these two medications and one of the side effects was uh you're gonna feel very like tired um and at this point i was working for good life so in the whole process of the surgery and stuff i became a personal trainer at good life yeah. was my first job there uh and i remember a month in or two months in i was like i can't i can't deal with this and i just stopped taking the medication because of the fatigue yeah i was like i literally felt like a zombie like i'd sit on the couch wow. and i just belonged on the couch is what it felt like <laughs> <laughs> crazy shit man um and in the yeah. surgery what what exactly did they do like did they um yeah like do, do you know the specifics of what they did in the surgery oh yeah exactly uh so they go through my femoral vein so they obviously sedate me um they go through my femoral vein they go up into the heart yeah. And then they they have now they have 3D mapping. Now the reason my first surgery got botched, it was terrible. Um, it was because they had 2D imaging, so they had just an overlay and they can sort of assume uh, where it is. Yeah. But now with 3D mapping, you can map the whole heart and you know exactly where the electrical signal is. So this time yeah. they saw it and fixed it in five seconds. Holy shit! And how do they fix it? They just uh, like what do they do to fix it? They cauterize it. Ah, uh, interesting. That's interesting yeah. how that works. Yeah. And and so what what are your or do you have any restrictions on training now or is training kind of green light or what's kind of the approach with it now? They gave me the green light seven days after the surgery. Oh wow, fucking technology, man! <laughs> I know it's it's so, like why couldn't we have that? And the technology that I, that was needed for the surgery now came out a year after my first one. Oh wow, crazy how life works, man. So yeah. now, like, how have you felt in terms of day-to-day and in terms of your training? Have you felt like it's affected it in any way? Yeah. Um, I don't have to... Like, I started running again. I haven't run in over nine years. 
Um, but uh, I'd say like I could tell when it wants to start, but it doesn't, which is a weird ghost feeling because I've gr- I've lived my entire life with it. Interesting. Um, yeah, so it's like a weird thing that your heart wants to feel like it wants to flutter, but it doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, as for training, uh, I noticed that it's like sometimes in training, if I do cleans or if I do like really intense things that require like a lot of rebounding, it would act up and I'd have to stop. Like I just couldn't like handle it because I would like get lightheaded. I would start seeing white. Mm-hmm. And my training has been more on point since that surgery than it's been in years. Wow. It's really good, man. I'm really happy to hear that, dude, because that's that's scary shit, man. That's scary shit to have that uh, condition. It's very difficult to find a coach who would understand that my main goal is to keep myself calm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, one of my coaches, like, one of the guys, two of the people I worked with were fantastic because it's not, you can't, and they, I don't need, like, a world-level coach. I need someone who would click with me. And one of my main things was um, I, my heart would act up in a fight because if you get hit, if I got hit, it's a shock to the chest. It would set it off. So I had to be a very defensive fighter, but like I would have yeah. a signal and I would do this to my chest and my coach would be like, okay, I have to talk to him to guide him through the fight. So the main thing is, was like the way I would fight in Taekwondo or play the game was I liked fighting really aggressive people because yeah. I was really strong for my weight, but I'm really good at shutting people down. So I would love, my thing was bringing down the tempo of a fight. And when I'm at a very low tempo, I would usually be very explosive and it would work to my advantage, mm. okay. which is why like, like I really learned how to deal with risk assessment, um, stress, anxiety, um, performing under pressure, and then being able to keep calm under pressure was like one of the, the strongest things that I've had by far. Yeah. And it's interesting. Cause I mean, this is one of the reasons why I wanted to, to do the show was because sometimes all this adversity, like it just, it didn't sound nice. You know, it's like to, if someone were to ask you, Hey, do you want to have this heart condition? You know, you'd be like, fuck no, I don't want to have this heart condition. Like it sounds horrible. You know what I mean? But now you're telling me like, Hey, like I've actually learned all this shit from it. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Like the, so that would, that, and the one thing that came, uh, the most not shocking to me, like almost like a, a 180 for me, like when you were talking about coaching, and going from it competing was that I had to coach an athlete who had severe asthma brought on by bouts of anxiety. Mm. Interesting. She can feel it when it would happen. Yeah. And I would have to coach her to calm her down. And then it took me about two years to one point where she would never be able to finish a fight ever. I remember the day that she finished her first fight because in the middle of the fight, instead of taking her puffer and stopping, she refused her puffer calmed down for 20 seconds went back in and finished and won that's crazy man it's crazy what the mind can do and like how did you coach her through this like what kind of cues or what kind of things did you guys work on to get her to like learn to control this a little bit better uh i remember when i would coach her i would be i would tell her to like i i would stop her i would center her focus on me so i'd get like really close to her level mm-hmm. and i'd be like i'd ask her i wouldn't tell her how she's feeling i'd be like how are you feeling she would tell me like it's okay to feel like that there's nothing wrong what Mm -hmm. do you want to do so i would give her the choice i would never force her to do something but i would encourage her when she's in the moment to do what she wanted to do so if she chose to start keep on fighting i'd be like it's okay move left move right engage don't engage it's okay Mm -hmm. go in Mm -hmm. and so i would be like really reassuring and then i would always tell her at the end of the fight like i don't care how you performed. If you won, you lose, doesn't matter. What I care 
about is if you can tell me how good, what something you did good and something you did bad and what you want to improve on. Um, and like, how did you feel about the fight? So when you're dealing with youth athletes, if someone with an issue like that, you always have to get down to their level and talk to them and understand them as a person mm-hmm. and not be above them and talk to them like you're someone who's like above them and like telling them that they need to do something or do better. And when you're at a level with somebody and you're understanding and you're making them feel valued, they will always respond to you and trust you. And when they can, you can build trust with someone, you can get like anything yeah. and you can almost like, it opens up so many doors. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I like what you said there. Cause I feel like that's just like one of the things that I'd like to focus on in life is I like to, you know, approach people, like you said, like we're equals, you know what I mean? Like, sure. I might have like a little bit more knowledge in this or that, or maybe I'm your coach or maybe I'm, you know, uh, my title is like, you know, puts me at a station above you, but really like, you don't have to treat the person that way. You know what I mean? Like, so I like that you have that approach. All right. So, I mean, we're, we're about to wrap things up. Uh, so just to let people know, like if they want to get in touch with you, if they want to train with you um, or anything like that, like how can they get in touch with you? Uh, so I have two pages. I have my uh, Instagram at David Arima. Or I have like my own uh, separate uh, training platform called Strength Collective Toronto on Instagram. And you can reach me at either or of them. And I usually respond pretty fast with it. Sweet. And you train uh, gymnastics, obviously, but uh, like just general training, like what kind of things do you, would you help people with? So I have three systems I go by. I have my own version of how I would do GPP, which is where it's just general, general physical preparedness. Uh, which is like different mod- different modalities, complexes, uh, powerlifting, mixed gymnastics. And then I strictly have a powerlifting program. And then I have strictly a gymnastics strength training program. Not okay. to compu- confuse the gymnastics, you're not doing backflips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gymnastics sound like the, the rings, the bar, and the handstands and stuff like that, right? Yeah, lots of calisthenics, lots of bodyweight stuff. Nice, nice, awesome. All right, Dave. Well, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Nice having you on the show. I learned a lot uh, about you, about Bruce Lee, about the heart. Um, <laughs> so thanks so much, man, for being on the show. And hopefully we well, do thanks, this again Thanks soon. for having me, man. Yeah, man. That's no awesome. Problem, Dave. And honestly, I'd love to do this again. <laughs> yeah. Sam, I know there's a lot more. I like to keep it short to so keep people kind of guessing and be like, oh, shit, like I want to know more about that or whatever. So yeah, there's definitely more, um, more we can dig deep into. So thanks for being here, man. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Thanks, brother.